Well, we're in, obviously, Romans 8 here, and we have been for the last few Sundays. Very, very important passage of Scripture, and we have already observed how this passage follows on the heels of that very difficult passage of Romans 7, where at the end of that, Paul is crying out, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And the point that we are making there is that um, is a Christian experience. Paul was not crying that out as an unbeliever, but as a believer. A, the experience of a Christian who has the nature of God within him, and that nature orients him delightfully to the things of God. He rejoices in what God's Word says. He wants to do what God says to do. But yet he is finding himself powerless in the face of sin, which is still in him. Evil is in him. And the very good that he desires to do, he does not do it. That is the experience of a Christian who is not living from Christ who is not living from the person of Jesus Christ who indwells him. There is no mention of the Holy Spirit, as we saw in that paragraph, on the conflict of a believer who recognizes that he is the child of God, who is responding with all of his, all of his mind to what God's word says, and yet he finds himself powerless and defeated in the face of sin. That is our experience. It's not something that is just a stage of the Christian life that one day we hope we can no longer have that struggle. That struggle and that defeat is a potential throughout the Christian life. It doesn't need to be a reality, but it can be the potential throughout every day of our Christian experience. From the day that we receive Christ to the day that we enter into glory. The potential for defeat the, the, the potential for, for the sin nature to have its way over us is always there. So what is the hope for us? Romans 8. That Christ lives in the believer. And what, we lo- what we're looking at here is Paul seems to be saying, let me tell you about the significance of Jesus in you. The significance of the Holy Spirit within you. I want to talk about, Paul seems to be saying, the ministry of God indwelling the believer. And, and the, we looked at it very, very briefly last Sunday in, in trying to establish that, that primarily what Paul is saying here is because Christ is in you, you do not need to live in obligation and defeat to the flesh. So that's why verse 12 we saw, So then, brethren, because the Spirit of God is in you, Because Christ is in you, so then we are not under obligation to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So that's his his basic summary of this chapter. But there are a number of different ministries of the Spirit that he wants to point us to. And those are the things that I want to work through um, quickly this morning. We've already touched on some of them. and, And to flesh this out in a little more detail than what I was able to do last Sunday. First of all... You'll notice throughout this passage the phrases in Christ, in the Spirit, or in the flesh, or the Spirit being in us. These are some summary observations here, some negatives that are said in this passage. If you are in the flesh, you are not able to please God. You do not belong to Christ. That Christ is not in you, and the Spirit is not in you. So this person who is in the flesh is not a Christian who is living as though he is not saved. It's not a Christian 
who is, who is stumbling in sin. The person who is in the flesh is not a Christian. So Paul does not use that phrase, in the flesh, to describe a fleshly or sinning Christian. He uses in the flesh to describe a person who does not have Christ in him. And so as he says very clearly, if Christ is not in you, then you do not belong to him. And you are not able to please God, you do not belong to Christ, and Christ is not in you if you are in the flesh. If you are in Christ, there are also a couple of negatives. There are at least truths that are presented on the negative side. One, you are not condemned. You cannot be condemned if Christ is in you. And the reason is, is because the Spirit of God is fulfilling all the requirements of the law. And that requirement ultimately is holiness, righteousness. The Spirit of God fulfills that in the believer as we put our faith in Christ. So there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Secondly, if you are in Christ, you are not under the law of sin and death. Meaning that it is still present, but I do not have to succumb to it. The ruling dynamic of my life does not have to be the dynamic of, law, of sin and death. If the Spirit is in me, then I cannot be in the flesh. That's another negative. If the Spirit is in me, if I'm in the Spirit, then I am not in the flesh. And Spirit in you means that we are not obligated to the flesh. So in the flesh, in Christ, in the Spirit, the Spirit in me, all of these things Paul's talking about, it's worth a slow, careful read and to see the significance of what that all means. And it's all good stuff. Now the ministries of the Holy Spirit. Number one, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because again, the Spirit of God is in the believer fulfilling all that God requires of us. Number two, the Spirit sets us free from the law of sin and death. In verse two, for the law of, for the, law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Not from its presence, but it does not have to be the dominating influence of our lives. Number three, that, that the Spirit is fulfilling the requirement of the law, which is holiness. He fulfills that in us. Verse 3, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So the Spirit is fulfilling the requirement of the law within us. I will never be able to fulfill it. How many laws are there in the Old Testament? 613. Not any of them were given for Gentiles. Makes me glad I was born a Gentile. So I do not have to think that the law was ever given to me as a Gentile, first of all. And secondly, I was not put under the law when I became a Christian. And even if I were born a Jew, I could never keep any of the laws. Not any of them. Moral laws, ceremony laws, Scripture makes no distinction. It is the law of God and the Spirit of God fulfills in us the requirement of the law. And the requirement of the law is absolute holiness, perfection. And God does it. Praise God. It is His ministry in us. By the Spirit of God, I, I am pleasing to God. By the Spirit of God, I belong to God. By the Spirit of God, I am made alive. And this is where I want to t jump back into the text, beginning in verse 9 and 10. However, you are not in the flesh. This is, again, Paul's clear statement concerning Christians. 
You can act like you're in the flesh, but you are not in the flesh. But you are in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. As I noted last week, that is probably the clear statement that you can make in Scripture, find in Scripture of what it means to be a Christian. Christ is in you. And if Christ is not in you, you do not belong to Christ. Very clear statement. It is an absolute of Scripture. It is a statement that every person who professes to be a Christian needs to address. He needs to ask himself the question, I say that I'm a Christian. Is Christ in me? If he is not in me, I do not belong to him. Verse 10, And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now that's simple enough. And we would all say, Amen. Because we, it's theoretical, <laughs> in a part. And we all very readily give our assent to the academic and the theoretical. My spirit is made alive, but my body is dead. You know, I, how do I tell them that my spirit's alive? I can tell you my body's dead. You know, it gets older all the time. And, you know, and Patsy and I, with, with um, Tom and Jane, helped the Trent Wines move yesterday up and down stairs and, you know, loading up their big moving van, I can tell you. I used to do that for a living when I was in seminary. But that was a long time ago. My body is dying. I thought it was going to die for good yesterday. <laughs> Tom was wringing, literally wringing sweat out of his shirt. And it, we, we were dripping wet. And we were just going, Jesus, come quickly. <laughs> I can tell you, my body's dying. But again, keep in mind here, this is a passage of Scripture that is not about going to heaven. This is not a passage about justification. This is not a passage about what's going to happen when we die. This is in that section of Paul's letter to the Romans that's dealing with our present experience, what theologians call our sanctification. He's already established that, that all are sinners and that we fall short of the glory of God. He's already established that the only way to have a righteous standing with God is through faith in Jesus Christ alone, and God declares us justified. God reckons us righteous. That's already been done. And now he's addressing the issue, well then how do I live until Jesus comes again? And in Romans 6, we present ourselves to him. But also in Romans 6 and in Romans 7, we need to understand, even in the presentation of ourselves to him, there is still the presence of a sin nature which acts as a slave and which acts as a husband. And for the only way for me to not live under the dominating power of that slave master or that bad husband is for me to die. I reckon on my death with Christ. And I yield myself to Jesus rather than to the master of sin or to the husband of sin. I yield myself to him. And now he's fleshing that out even more and saying, in the same manner in which you were saved, it was the, it was the 100% activity of God. You simply yielded yourself to his activity and he cleansed you of your sin. He forgave you. All you did was say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I put my trust in you. In the same way that you're saved, by the dynamic power of Jesus who is God and with all the power of God which He has and is, He saves you by His power. We are saved by Jesus. We just say, thank you, Jesus. 
I put my trust in you. And it is the same Jesus, the same power, who now lives in you in order to deliver you from the power and the defeat of sin in the same way that you were saved. Thank you, Jesus. You only can do this. Remember in chapter 7, Paul is describing sin's presence and sin's power as death. And he's saying, who will deliver me from this body of death? And now in chapter 8, Paul is saying, even though the body may be dead, your spirit has been made alive. But don't think this is just about going to heaven. Look at verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, So again, this is all present tense. I don't think verse 11 again is just about going to heaven because he's talking about, everything here is about now, the present ministry of the Spirit. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the one who caused Jesus to rise lives in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells you. And so even though there's a future, He will give life. I truly believe He's talking about the present experience of the Christian. In other words, He's saying, Christ, the, Christ is alive from the dead. The Spirit rose him, raised Him from the dead. The Spirit dwells in you. The same Spirit who rose Jesus from the dead dwells in you to give you life. That doesn't mean I'm going to have perfect health. That doesn't mean I'm never going to get sick. But it does mean that there is going to be life in me that affects every corner of my humanity. My mind, my emotions, even my body. And then again, I'm not, this is not saying that I'm never going to die physically, that I'm never going to get cancer, that I'm never going to have any problems with my health. But it is saying that even on a physical level, there is life in a Christian that is not in an unbeliever. How all that works out, we are, we are living, the, as it were, the experiment of it all the time. But we know that this is true. That we see God giving, animating our very bodies. I Man, I tell you, you know, you, 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 you read the biographies of different Christian um, people who, who have just been renowned for, for their faith in Christ, And I tell you, man, I've read biographies about missionaries in Africa and missionaries in Bangladesh and missionaries in China. And you see the superhuman strength that those people are serving with, especially doctors on the mission field. And it is incredible. And I'm going, God, how in the world, with the demands that these people are facing, how can they live? Then there's present day examples. One of the men in Torchbearer, Satish John, that comes and teaches at his hill each year. That guy wakes up in the morning, and he had to move on campus to the Torchbearer School because when he was living down the town, he'd wake up in the morning, and there'd be lines of people outside his door, no matter what time the light came on. And as soon as the light came on, the people were knocking on the door. And some t- fact, and sometimes they're already in the living room. Every single day. And that was just one of the pressing obligations upon him. And Paul spoke of the same kind of things. He says, the weight upon me at times seems to be crushing. And yet he also spoke about the physical enabling of Jesus. Not just the emotional enabling, not just the spiritual enabling, but even the physical enabling of Jesus. 
I can't even face this day, God. Physically, I do not have what it takes. I need you physically, just as I need you spiritually. And what a Christian has not found the experience of when they come to Jesus, and they're saying, Jesus, you must sustain me. The same Jesus who physically sustains this world, who holds all things together physically in this world, lives in me to physically hold me together and to sustain me. And I believe when Jesus said in John 15 that apart from me you can do nothing, he means every single aspect of my being. Not just I can't have a sound thought without Jesus, and that is true. Not just that I can't be emotionally sound, and that is true. Not just that I can't be spiritually sound, and that is true, but I can't even physically do anything unless Jesus sustains me and Jesus empowers me. And so I really don't have any problem here. I believe that it is what the Spirit of God is wanting to orient us to in this passage. That at times it would seem that the problem with sin in the believer is a problem of his even, his just his physicality, which is not the case. But even if it were, the one who rose Jesus physically from the dead lives in me to give life to me on every plane of my humanity. Every plane. So then, brethren, we are not under obligation to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. But you can. Verse 13 is written to Christians. Now, I I pulled off my shelf last night two other very popular translations that are more like paraphrases. One advertises itself as a paraphrase. The other does not, but it is. And they would make it seem that verse 13 is written to an unbeliever. That is a tragedy. In fact, as you read through this in some of the more modern translations, they're a little looser with translating, and they're more, more just trying to translate the thought rather than the words. The thought they come up with is that Paul... Is, is when he talks about living um, according to the flesh or living in the flesh, he's talking about a Christian. But then when he comes down here, he talks about you must die. He's not talking about Christians. Sad. Verse 13, if you, the Bible is written to Christians. Romans is written to Christians. If you Christians in the church of Rome, in the church of Bernie Bible Church, In the church of America, if you are living according to the flesh, you can't live in the flesh, folks. Paul's already established that. You are not in the flesh. But a Christian can live according to the flesh. And if you do, you must die. But there's no condemnation. And there's no separation. So in what sense does the Christian die? This is not saying you're going to lose your salvation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You will not lose your salvation if you live according to the flesh. You will not be separated from Christ if you live according to the flesh. All Paul's saying is very simple. Your life is going to characterize it will be characterized by what you are living from. And if you are living from your humanity, 
your self-will, your good intentions, your ambitions, no matter how lofty they are, if the explanation for your life is yourself, your experience will be death. But if you are living from Christ, from the Spirit of God who lives in you, your experience will be what characterizes God's Spirit. Life and peace. Again, he is not saying that you will have no experience of tragedy, that you will always have perfect health. He's not saying that that only good things are going to happen throughout your life. He's not saying anything like that. The rest of Romans 8, he's going to make that crystal clear. But what he is saying is that what what is going to be coming through you, the general character of your life, as you live in accordance with the Spirit, rather than in accordance with the flesh, will be life and peace. But if you live in accordance with the flesh, then what's going to come through you will be death. We all know this to be true. How many times have you entered into something with the best of intentions, but the Spirit was not leading you got ahead of God. You had good intentions. It seemed like the right thing to do. And yet you understood there was this check in your spirit to where you're going. God's saying, it may be right, but it's not the right time. What I want you to do is pray. But you just don't feel like that's effective enough. That's being too passive. The thing you need to do is to get involved. To confront. And you move ahead of God. And there's nothing but disaster as good as your intentions were. Sometimes it's just being benevolent and and helping somebody, giving aid to them, giving money to them, whatever. Good intentions. But it's like, it can be like spoiling your kids, where the last thing they need is to be given, given, given. And so the good that you desire to come from your actions, no good comes from it. It's death. If I live from the flesh. Whether that means sin nature here, or whether that simply means my humanity apart from Christ, the result is going to be the same. Death. I will never live in the flesh, but I as a Christian can live according to the flesh. And it will mean death. Can that mean that it would ultimately even shorten my life? I believe that God disciplines His children even to the point of taking them home early. And if there is a child of God who is consistently living according to the flesh, in fact, I believe that a Christian can live so much according to the flesh that you can't look at his life and tell that he's a Christian. But that's not to say that God is not convicting him and making him miserable over the way that he's living. God knows those who are his and those who are not. And I, I believe I have seen God take people home who were His. Because their lifestyle was one of absolute, it seems to be, commitment to just living in accordance with the flesh and not yielding to Christ. And God said, son, it's time to come home. Whether it's God taking us home early or not, 
we will experience death if we are living according to the flesh. But not if we live from the Spirit in accordance with the Spirit. Look at the rest of the verse. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Again, I don't see anything in this verse that he's, that, where he's talking about the future. He's talking about the present. If you are now, and you can't do it on your own, I cannot by the flesh put to death the deeds of the flesh. Can't do it. And so you're, you're, you know, you're, you're struggling with, with lust. And so you think, I'm just not going to think lust. I'm just not going to think lust. I'm just not going to think lust. All you're doing is reinforcing the lust. Right? And, and so you can't put death Put to death the deeds of the flesh by the flesh. It takes the Spirit of God. Well, that just seems impossible. For you and me, it is. Just as, it is just as impossible for me to put to death the deeds of the flesh as it was for me to save myself. Just as impossible. Just as it took Jesus to save me, it takes Jesus in me to put to death the deeds of the flesh. I cannot do that. He does it. It is done by the Spirit. Now, he, he's, I'm in league with Him because I'm agreeing with Him. I'm yielding to Him. But it's no more me doing it than it's me saving myself. It is by the Spirit that I put to death the deeds of the flesh. And then very naturally, you will live. Again, He's not, gonna, he's not saying you'll be cancer-free. But... Life reigns in the person who is living according to, the flesh, according to the Spirit. And as he lives according to the Spirit, the Spirit puts to death the deeds of the flesh. And then he, but he credits me with it. I am putting to death. But it's being done by the Spirit. I'm telling you folks, if, you've, if you find yourself in bondage to sin, this is not saying that the temptation goes away. It's not saying that, that the struggle is going to go away entirely. You know, and, and it may be 50 times a day that you've got to turn to God and say, God, this is for you. I can't do it. But I thank you that you are sufficient for this. The one who rose Jesus from the dead lives in me. And so, Jesus, I'm, I'm making this available to you. You have got to do it. Thank you. That is not my role to get myself under control. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. You've got to bring me under your control. So here I am. I want it, and I'm yielding myself to you. That, that yielding to Him, of presenting myself to Him, is the same thing as, verse 14, being led by the Spirit. Look what he says. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God in this passage? It means that I am walking with Christ. And as I walk with Christ, the Spirit of God is putting to death the deeds of the flesh within me. Look at a parallel passage over in Galatians that has the same phrase of being led by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I say, walk by the Spirit. That's a very important phrase. It, it speaks of a personal relationship. It speaks of a daily experience. Walk by the Spirit. 
It speaks of intimacy. This is not being, have the Spirit on a chain and let Him drag you wherever He wants to take you. That's not a walk. That's a drag. The Spirit doesn't drag you through life. But you do walk by the Spirit, and in that walk, He leads you. And how specifically does He lead us according to this passage? Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Same thing Paul's saying in Romans 8. That if we are in Christ, and Christ is in us, and I'm living according to the Spirit, then by the Spirit I am putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. That's never going to change. As long as you are alive in this body, you will find this conflict is there. It's not going to go away. But verse 18, But if you are led by the Spirit, same phrase as in Romans 8, If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. And he lists them, some, not some of them, not all of them, immorality, impurity, and sensuality, on down. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and he lists some of those, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Verse 24, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, and we all do, Let us also walk by the Spirit. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? It means to walk by the Spirit. What happens when we do? The Spirit of God is free to produce His fruit in our lives. Some other author here, Hendrickson, from a commentary that I have that he wrote, said those who are led by the Spirit are the same as those who walk by the Spirit. And this is a powerful influence that is exercised upon and within the believer by the Spirit and is not sporadic in character. He describes it as as the Spirit of God is, 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 is the indispensable characteristic of God's children. If a person is a child, then he is being led by the Spirit. If he, is, if he is being led by the Spirit, he is a child of God. It is that constant, effective, beneficent influence which the Holy Spirit exercises within the hearts of God's children, whereby they are being directed and enabled more and more to crush the power of the indwelling sin and to walk in the way of God's commandments freely and cheerfully. When the Holy Spirit leads believers, He becomes the controlling influence in their lives, bringing them at last to glory. Being led by the Spirit is to be fully, is to be fully effective implies that one allows himself to be led. All Paul's saying here is, listen, God's Spirit in you today is a present person, a present power, a present activity. And if you belong to Jesus, the Spirit of God is in you, and He is leading you. And in that leading... He produces through us the fruit of the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. It's clearly what God is saying here. Going back to Romans 8, in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, He makes the Spirit of man alive. He gives life presently to our mortal bodies. He frees us from all obligation to the flesh. He leads us into the putting to death of the flesh. I know this true too about the leading of God's Spirit. Again, verse 14, all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. I so much appreciate that this verse doesn't put it 
the other way around. All who are following God are the sons of God. Because I don't always follow Him. But as a believer in Jesus Christ with the Spirit of God living in me, there is never a moment when the Spirit of God is not leading me. Never. He is in me. He will guide me into all the truth. He will bear witness 100% of the time to Jesus Christ. This is His ministry. And I know all of us as believers know this. That when the Spirit of God is in the Christian, throughout our lives, in every circumstance of life, you find yourself, and it is by the Spirit's indwelling activity, He is leading you to Christ. He is leading you to trust Jesus so that the Spirit's fruit might be produced in your life. That the godliness and the holiness which He has granted us might be actually revealed in us. This is the constant indwelling influence of the Spirit. What Christian is not constantly being led to Jesus? This is what he does. And again, when ministries begin to be characterized by something other than this, that by something other than Christ, then you know it is not the Spirit of Jesus who is leading in that ministry. Because the Spirit always leads the sons of God. Always. And He leads us to Jesus. He leads us to a yielding to Him. Not just to Jesus in name only, but yielding to Him actively. Lord Jesus, You are the only one that is sufficient for my sin. Thank You that You indwell me to live through me. Thank You that I do not have to live in bondage to sin and death, but I can live free in life and in peace, because you indwell me, because the Spirit who, who raised you from the dead lives in me. It's your life. Live your life through me. The Spirit of God is always leading us to that active yielding to Christ, always. And as we yield in response to His leading, then He is free to reproduce His fruit within us. It is a walk, and in that sense, it is leading. You walk with somebody, friend, husband, and wife, take a walk in the evening, and, 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 and many times the relationship is so imperceptible that, and, and so intimate that you can't even, even see, as it were, that one is leading the other. But it's there. And, it, and we don't necessarily see or necessarily even sense the Spirit's leading. But He leads us to Jesus to an active yielding to Him. And then, wrapping this up, as we noted last week, He also bears witness to the fact that we belong to Him, crying out within us, Abba, Father. And if you are a Christian, you are a Christian because you have put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. The objective Word of God says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, then you shall be saved. It is that simple and that clear. That, that there is no other name under heaven which has been given by, when, by which men must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. No other name. And if you have put your trust in the person of Jesus Christ to save you on the basis of God's objective word, you can rest assured 
that you belong to him. But you also will have the indwelling spirit who at that moment comes to live in you and he cries out within your heart that you are a child of God and that God the Father is your Father. And it becomes the most natural thing in the world for you to speak to him as Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And finally, in this paragraph, he makes us the heirs of God. The Spirit, if you are children, heirs also. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. The Spirit of God ministers all this to us. Let me wrap it up. You've been very attentive. It's been a long sermon. Big, big portion of Scripture. Comes basically down to this, folks. And I hope I haven't made something very simple, you know, convoluted. Real simple again. Jesus lives in the Christian. Man, if we never get anywhere beyond that, Christ is in you. God dwells in the believer. And he's not just there because he didn't have a better place to live. God is in the believer to live through us. God is the only one who could save you. And God is the only one who today can keep us free from defeat under sin. Only God. Willpower is never going to do it. No church is going to do it. No 12 steps are going to do it. God only. Only God. And that's what this passage is saying. The Spirit of God who rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. He lives in you. And so when you find yourself tempted, find yourself being defeated and wonder, is there any hope? God orients us to Himself. He lives in the believer. You could not save yourself. You cannot live the Christian life. God lives in you. He is more than sufficient, not only to die for your sin, to forgive you of your sin, but to free you from its controlling influence, from its power. God can. He wants you to have the experience of being set free from your sin. It is the longing of God that Christians be free. Free. It is the longing of God that we walk in life and in peace. And he has provided everything for that to happen. He truly has. Only God can fulfill what is his longing for each of us. And he indwells us to fulfill that longing. Thank you, God. You can do this. What I desire, you desire more than I. Life in peace, freedom. You desire this more than I do. Thank you. Let me close us in prayer.